You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk right here on L.A. Talk Radio. You're listening to The Art of Love with your host, Lucia, right here on L.A. Talk Radio. Hello, it's Lucia. Welcome to The Art of Love. I am your host and a dating and relationship expert, and I'm here to entertain, educate, and enlighten you about love, dating, and relationships. Take your calls, answer your emails, solve your dating dilemmas, and speak to authors of books which I find interesting. So welcome. Well, you know, I just did an interview with a Fox Sports News about cougars. That was interesting. And if you missed it, it's because you are not following me on Twitter or you're not a Facebook fan or you're not on MySpace. So if you'd like to know what I am up to in the future, then you need to just go to the uh, radio page for me on LA Talk Radio and all those links are there and you can find out what all my interviews are and what I'm up to because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up. And uh, today will be a very interesting show. As usual, my one of my best girlfriends will be calling in later, and we're going to talk about the perfect boyfriend and what a perfect boyfriend does. Because, you know, guys are always saying, oh, we don't understand women. What do they want? La, la, la. And so we're going to tell you what we want, okay? <laughs> You're going to know exactly what women want. But before that, I'm going to bring on my guest, and he is a psycho therapist. It's always nice to have someone with a PhD on the show to let us know what's going on. And his name is Michael Batshaw. He is a board certified psychotherapist and author with a private practice in New York City. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with honors in philosophy. He completed his master's of science in social work at the Graduate School of Columbia University. He's practiced Zen meditation for over 15 years and facilitates workshops focusing on spirituality and addiction in the New York City area. And Michael Batshaw is the author of the new book, 51 Things You Should Know Before Getting Engaged. So welcome to the show, Michael. Hi. Good to be here. Okay. And I didn't write down your website. So what is your website again? The website for the book is the5151things.com. Okay. That's easy. I just yeah. couldn't, couldn't remember that. Um, so as someone who also practices meditation, I was just um, wondering, what is the difference between Zen meditation and transcendental meditation? I don't know if it's really that different. I mean, each, each school of meditation has certain techniques of meditation, whether it's focusing on the breath or focusing on mantra uh, or something like that. And in Zen, they're pretty uh, open and pluralistic about meditation techniques meaning whatever works for you specifically based on how your mind runs, you should use, whether it's counting the breaths uh, or just staying present in the moment uh, or using some sort of mantra practice or labeling your thoughts. It doesn't really matter. Uh, What it is is that anything that takes your attention down to a simple point and allows you to see how your mind is wandering and you can bring it back uh, is as good as anything else. 
Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, and do you find that your meditation practice helps you in your private practice? Like, do thoughts come to you that are helpful when you're treating someone? Yeah, I would say the 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 way that the practice of the meditation practice helps in therapy is to keep your mind clear. So when somebody's talking about what's going on with them and what their emotions are and what their conflicts are, that I can be clearly focused uh, on their life and their issues. And if there's anything that I'm thinking about, like what I'm going to have for dinner that night uh-huh. or who's coming in next, <laughs> yeah. I can be aware if that's coming in and just kind of put it to the side and keep the focus clear. Right. Now, the book 51 Things, the color is the same color as a Tiffany box. Obviously, yes. that wasn't accidental. Right. <laughs> no, that was not accidental. That's great. Okay. I, ho- I hope it's not the closest I ever get to a Tiffany box. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I don't think that most... You know, as you say in your book, it seems that most people don't ask enough questions before they get engaged. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of it has to do with how the culture leads people um, to think about engagement, which is it's something that should, it's a feeling, a rush of feeling and passion that should come over you uh, when you meet somebody, that you should be blissfully in love and sort of run off together, get a ring and get married and live happily ever after like you see in movies and TV shows and, and uh, other sorts of media. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get indoctrinated into this kind of stuff growing up in this culture. It's very hard to get out of it, and I hear client after client talk about this and actually use this phrase, you know, how come it's not like you see in the movies? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Uh, and i'm not sure sh- I'm not sure whether parents do a good job or not a good job of it because they're raised in the same culture as well. I think it's difficult uh to to take on that role as a parent anyway. I'm not sure your kids really want to listen to you mm-hmm. when you're offering your quote sage advice because they're looking at maybe your relationship and they're younger and they're thinking, "Oh, I want to do things differently uh and you know i've I've met my true soulmate, and that's why I'm different than everybody else right. They always think they're the exception. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so what are some of the complaints that you hear from married couples then? Well, the complaints certainly from married couples, the ones who are not particularly happy, Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, would be, I rushed in too quickly, meaning we got engaged, I don't know, within a year, within two years, without living with each other, without really getting to know how we lived and who we were. Uh, we would go out and everything was still in that honeymoon phase. And then within two, three, four years after, after the engagement, after getting married, you start to see the real uh, person, warts and all, and, and you're shocked. Mm-hmm. Think, I can't believe this is the person uh, who I married. And now I feel stuck and maybe we've had a kid or maybe uh, I'm pregnant. Uh, anything like that, it becomes much more difficult and tougher to get out of. Yeah. Now, the whole living together thing, you know, I only lived uh, with one person once in my 20s, and he was never home, so it was very easy. <laughs> <laughs> he just yeah, that's, that's an important caveat. The person has to be around. <laughs> you can't just share residence. Oh. You really want to get a sense of, you know, what's it like when you come home? You know, does your partner, you know, veg out in front of the TV, go out drinking at night? Uh, you need to know that kind of stuff. Ah, uh, okay, because you know, people say, well, yeah, I didn't know he was like that 
that's how he lived. But I'm thinking, okay, but if two people are mature, and I know mm-hmm. maybe they're hard to find these days, um, yeah. <laughs> couldn't they just say, listen, okay, you need to pick up your underwear. You need to do this. And then the other person being mature and saying, you're right, I'll do it. Or am I being too simplistic? That would be ideal, uh-huh. you know, if it worked that way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in, in my practice, it just, it, it seems like it never does. I mean, those those couples that work that way, that's that's wonderful and great, but I think that really is the minority. And if it was only about picking the underwear up, we wouldn't have too much of a problem. Uh-huh. You know, because most people could say, well, I can live with it. If I, you know, if he's not the cleanest guy in the world or, or she's not, I can deal with it. These the the greater issue of somebody who really doesn't care about their living space that much it's not it's not their priority that's where you can start to see real problems mm-hmm. in the relationship because it starts to look more like lifestyle issues you know what what things are important to you in terms of how you live and where you live and how you want to keep your place and how you feel in in your place where you live right now you also say to beware the person of your dreams why is that well there's this strange phenomenon that I've noticed in my practice, which is the individual that often someone is the most passionately drawn towards uh, on some kind of a subconscious level resembles some partner uh, or family member for their, from their past that they have an unresolved relationship with. Mm. Now, it won't be completely obvious because there will be things that are different about this person, um, but once they get with them, uh, if they stay with them for a longer, long enough period of time and they have enough self-awareness, they'll start to realize, wait a second, this, this person is repeating some of the hurts or a lot of the hurts I felt either in past relationships or in my family of origin. How did this happen? You know, mm-hmm. this person didn't seem anything like that when mm-hmm. I first uh, met them. And usually what, what happens is that the passion and the feeling that wells up when you first meet somebody like that who may resemble someone, you know, on a subconscious level, uh, when you have the red flags that you notice during those conversations, you're really much more likely to ignore them or forget them mm-hmm. and keep being pulled by the emotion. So it's rare that you actually didn't see those red flags uh, or those sort of incidents or um, parts of their character that did resemble a parent or a former partner, it's more that you saw it and you ignored it because the passion, the feeling, and the draw and the familiarity was so strong. And so those types of relationships can be the most devastating uh, to break up in because uh, there's tremendous disillusionment uh, that you feel. Okay, so then if you say then we shouldn't be with the person of our dreams, because everyone dreams about being with the person of their dreams, then... Uh, then how do we get together with someone? Because if we meet someone and we're not really that into them, then we don't really want to go out with them. Well, I think you have to find something in the middle, which is what I try and tell people, is you obviously want to be attracted to the person. There's got to be chemistry and there has to be interest uh, to make you want to go forward. There's something about the subconscious template pull that feels almost like being injected with a drug. Yes. And that's the thing that I'm telling people to be beware of because that drug-like feeling is actually a warning sign from your system that this is not about just what is in front of you. It's about something deeper, uh, more complicated, and you better step back and try and get more clear about it. So it's certainly, I'm certainly not saying don't be with people you're attracted to. It's, it's more a level of attraction 
and sort of a drug-like experience of a high versus just being attracted to someone. If you, if you kind of understand what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, because then when those relationships end and you're no longer on that uh, chemically drug-induced <laughs> high, uh-huh. you look back at them, you're like, ooh, what was I thinking? <laughs> exactly. I mean, people shocked and and often times uh, a lot of shame that comes in too, because you you en- ended up feeling like your your perception was that this person was really your soulmate, and then maybe even in a matter of three months you recognize you don't want to be anywhere near this person. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you start to really question your judgment, and then that makes your future dating even more difficult. Right. So these are, these are relationships that you really want to try and avoid, and, and yet they're the most difficult ones to avoid, because you think the feeling means this is the right one, mm-hmm. when the feeling means this is probably the wrong one. Ah. Okay, so we should actually look at it as a warning sign, like danger up ahead. Yeah, danger up ahead. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you couldn't work something out with that person, but you really got to step back, breathe, and try and get clear uh, about the good and the bad of what you're seeing, which is so difficult during those early months in a relationship. Yeah, I know, because, you know, when I give people advice, and sometimes, you know, I know they're in that, you know, drug drug state, and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it's it's absolutely true. There was there was a uh, a book that the psychiatrist Erwin uh, Yalom wrote years ago called Love's Executioner. Wow! And uh, and it's a vignette of his uh, different uh, you know patients he worked with, but they all surround this idea of how how awful it is to see somebody coming in going through that and knowing there's nothing you can do. They're just going to hit a brick wall. <laughs> the train's going off the tracks. It's going to be a disaster, yeah. and there's really nothing you can say. I know. I mean, you'd have to, like, kidnap them and take them away to another city. <laughs> yeah, we want to, but, uh, you know, it's... It's against the law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the only way. Um, okay, so, you know, hope is always the last to die, but you say don't wait forever for progress in uh, relationship issues that are important to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in slow, steady progress. If you see it happening, you know, you should hang in there because people tend to be really impulsive. Uh, and feel like, you know, if something's not working, I'm going to get out and, and find the next best thing. However, um, there are other individuals who are more willing to be toxically patient uh, with somebody. Uh, they'll continue to make excuses for their partner. Um, you know, well, the job is so stressful, or it's the kids, or, you know, it's the weather, or, you know, it, whatever it happens to be when this individual keeps making the same mistakes, the same behavioral problems in the relationship that end up hurting you over and over again, uh, there comes a time we have to recognize a pattern of uh, broken promises, uh, a pattern of laziness, um, or a pattern of obstinacy that goes on for a period of months, maybe even six months, maybe nine months, uh, it's time to cut cut yourself loose from that relationship. Mm-hmm. So, but on the other hand, then if let's say there is issues and you bring them up with the person, you go, listen, you know, I don't want, I don't like this. I don't like that. Yep. And they seek to change. Then it's okay. I think it, you have to sort of look at it as sort of a live hypothesis, right? Which is, okay, they're saying they're going to work on this. Let's see. And mm-hmm. you really want to watch. And if they're working on it, you want to see if progress is being made. 
just like in anything else in life, if you're uh, running a business or doing a science experiment, you know, are you getting results? If there aren't results, either from a lack of trying or they're trying, but it just isn't happening, either way at that point you'd also uh, probably have to end it. Right. It always seems people hang in way too long. Yeah, there are certainly, I mean, there are people uh, who serially cut you, I'm sure you know these individuals as well, mm-hmm. uh, who are constantly cutting it short, you know, when somebody's not meeting their expectations. Uh-huh. But that's probably not the majority. No. The majority do hang in there too long, making excuses and hoping, 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 because there are a lot of good aspects to their partner, uh, which brings us to this other idea of, really trying to find out what your partner's core character is, because that will tell you a lot about what their capacity is to grow and change with you over time. Yeah, because, you know, whenever whenever I bring up, you know, red flags to people, and they go, oh, but he's good with this, he's good with this, and I go, well, you know what, you know, Hitler was also good with dogs, so what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, you right? ha- well, you have to, I mean, it's such a good point, because you have to look at these things from a hierarchical perspective, right? Um, If you have a partner who can be nice to you 50% of the time, uh, that's an F, right? Mm -hmm. Even 60% of the time, that's a D. Mm -hmm. 75%, it's a C. Uh, Who who would really want to be with that? Would you want to go to a doctor who who (laughs) had an average of a D or an F? Why would you pick a partner who had that kind of average with you? Uh, so you really have to look hard at that stuff. You know, is is your partner hardworking? Is your partner a passionate person? Does your partner show the capacity to listen and change and respect you and what you do? Um, if they don't uh, do any of those things, there's going to be a really, really big problem in the future. And because character issues are very difficult to change over time. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody just doesn't listen, teaching somebody to listen who doesn't listen, uh, uh, I don't know anybody who's really been able to do that in a relationship. It's hard enough uh, as a professional to do that with somebody. Yeah. Uh, there's no way you're going to be able to do that with your partner. Yeah, and, you know, I don't think people realize how difficult marriage is. Now, having, you know, I've never been married, but I think I suspect that it is hard, and that's why I've never been married. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, I, I think you're right. You know, I... I try and talk to people about this, having been uh, with my wife for 15 years, married for 10 of those years. It is really hard work. Um, And I think it's like anything else in life um, that you want to be good at, uh, whether it's a sport or music um, or any kind of profession. It's hard work. There are techniques and skills you have to learn. You have to have a willing partner who has the same goals as you so that you can be directed in the same way. And what I try and tell people is, although it's going to be really, really tough, especially in those beginning years, those five to seven years, if you work hard, you seek help if you need it, and you have a willing partner, it should at a certain point start getting better and better and better. Mm. So that, you know, after 10 years or after 12 years, you can end up feeling like you've grown to be each other's soulmates in some way, Mm -hmm. in a way that it would be impossible to be when you first meet or know each other for a few years, just impossible. That, uh, you know, good things come through really hard work. And a lot of people 
don't know that that's the case and feel like if you're going to have to work hard at it, mm-hmm. uh, it's not worth it and there's something wrong with the relationship. And that's, uh, that's really not true. I guess maybe the analogy of a puzzle comes to me. It's like when you first take the puzzle out of the box, you've got all these pieces all over. You're like, oh, my God, how am I going to get this together? But then slowly over time, you put piece together, piece together, and you get the puzzle started, and uh, that's like marriage or a relationship. It gets better with time. You're, you're absolutely right. And what, what I'm talking about in the book is as you're putting this puzzle together, if you notice that there are a quarter of the pieces that seem to be from a different puzzle, meaning they're not going to fit together, yeah. uh, you're going to have to get rid of that and look to find the pieces that are going to match you over time. Right, right. Now you so also, you're absolutely right. So you also um, say that you should talk about the little things or they're going to grow into big issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's this common folk wisdom that you, that you always hear, which is, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and what I hear from women a lot, um, especially, is uh, they're afraid if they bring up these little deals, mm-hmm. they're going to be thought of as a nag. Yes. Like, I don't want to be a nag. Um, and the point I make about this is you're only a nag if your husband is chronically not paying attention to you and not <laughs> listening to you. Right. That's it's true. that simple. Yeah. You know, if you have to ask your husband 15 times to put away the dishes, that doesn't make you a nag. Right. Either, your husband either needs to get his hearing checked yeah. uh, or there's a, there's a serious empathic issue going on there. Uh, so it, it's sort of diagnostic in the sense that as a woman or let's say a man in a relationship, if you have a partner saying, why do you keep nagging me about all this stuff? The first thing you should say is, why aren't you listening? Why do I have to ask you this many times about something that is so small and silly, you know, on, on some level? Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have that problem and there is an ability to listen, you have this tremendous opportunity, which is any time you have a feeling of maybe being dismissed by your partner, or I feel like you weren't li- really listening to me when I called you on the phone, uh, or I feel like you weren't helping me out as much as you could while we were making dinner. That's an opportunity to communicate and build the muscle of communication, build the muscle of listening, and build the muscle of empathy. Uh, and like any kind of training program you have with working out, you start with light weight, right? Mm. It's manageable. Yeah. You build it up over time. So that when you have the major conflicts, the major disagreements, you have two things going for you. One is you've been building up those muscles during these small conflicts. And two, you have the memory and the experience of, hey, we've worked through a lot of these conflicts, these little things that we bring up. Uh, so why shouldn't we able to be able to work something out that's, uh, that's a much larger conflict when we have this experience of being able to talk to each other, listen, feel like we're not quite on the same page and then reach mutual understanding. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Because if you can't talk about the little things, how are you going to talk about the big things? Yeah, exactly. And then just resentment builds and builds and builds. Uh, and then you have people saying, well, I just can't talk to my partner. And a lot of those people have never really tried with the little things. So obviously the big things are going to feel too too big. Yeah. Now another thing you mentioned in the book, 51 Things You Should Know Before Getting Engaged. And this, I was surprised. You said everyone doubts at one time or another that their partner is the one? Yeah. Uh, prob- not necessarily everybody in the first three months. Uh-huh. No. But 
certainly when it comes time to get married, when there is the engagement, mm. uh, I've never known anyone personally, never worked with anybody uh, in all the years as a psychotherapist who wasn't a week before their wedding or a month before their wedding or two months before the wedding or when they got engaged thinking, hmm, mm. <laughs> maybe this isn't the right one because you have to start looking at what am I giving up? The person is obviously not perfect. So you start to think about in what ways does my partner not have those things that I dreamed about? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a sobering experience in a certain way, but it's a maturing experience because you realize uh, you're always going to make some compromises. Nobody's going to be everything. But when you weigh those things in the scale, it can actually bring you to a deeper more real feeling of connection and love to that individual. Because you're also recognizing, if you have a nice level of self-awareness, that you're not perfect either, right? Mm -hmm. You're probably not everything your partner dreamed of. Right. Uh, And if you can recognize that, you meet each other on a much more human level. And uh, I feel like the uh, people who are more upfront with themselves uh, around that can step into the engagement and into the marriage with their feet solidly on the ground, seeing each other uh, for who they are in all three dimensions. Um, and that's the best place to get started because there's only more difficult and more conflict as, as, as life goes on, and you need to be prepared for it. Yeah. Now, speaking of having second thoughts, you know, I had talked about an earlier show about two different guys who called off the wedding. One was a, a, a basketball player was in the news a few months ago. He called off the wedding like three days before. And then oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. someone mm-hmm. else I know, they called off the day, the day of the wedding. So yeah. why do guys wait so long? Well, why, why those particular guys wait too long? <laughs> I think we're looking at something that may be you know, a, a, sort of the outliers on the spectrum there. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what their specific issues are, but what I would say is there's probably a significant level of denial mm. uh, and, and dissociation going on with those guys. Um, a tremendous lack of self-awareness during the process um, because these are, th- these are issues and thoughts you should be having about your compatibility and whether you really want to get married from the time you think about getting a ring. And if you're not doing that, you're being unbelievably irresponsible, mm-hmm. uh, both to yourself and especially to the woman you're with. So, you know, the first thing I would say to those women is, thank God yeah. uh, they didn't go through with it and you were you know, stuck in a worse situation because getting to know that uh, your potential husband is that narcissistic uh, and, and in denial uh, before it happens, it's probably better than later on. Right. Even though it's, I'm sure, it's tremendously painful. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but those women, it's also a wake-up call. Maybe they need to do a little bit more soul-searching about their own level uh, of awareness and what brought them to be attracted to a man uh, who would have that kind of narcissism um, and lack of empathy uh, for their partner. Wow, that sounds good. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I know someone, she actually got married, and she didn't trust um, her then, you know, her boyfriend, and then became her husband, uh, that, you know, that he wasn't cheating. And so after they got married, then she was constantly checking up on him, and if he was five minutes late coming home, it's like, why are you early? Why are you late? If he was early, why are you early? And it, this was like day, and eventually he 
had to file for divorce. He couldn't take it anymore. And I told her, don't get married if you don't trust him. But she didn't take my advice. You're absolutely right. Um, if, if you don't feel uh, the trust that your partner, your husband, your wife can go out with friends at night, uh, can go on business trips, can make calls on their BlackBerry without you checking <laughs> every night, can have an email account without you having access to it, um, it, it, there are more significant maybe trust issues that you need to be exploring that probably have to do with your history in some way. Uh, and it's important to work that stuff out because in those situations, you're never really getting to the bottom of why you don't have the trust that you need in a relationship. And what you end up getting is what we call secondary gain, mm -hmm. which is you look through the, the emails or the BlackBerry list, you don't see uh, any women or old girlfriends that he's been calling, and you feel relief mm -hmm. for this brief moment. Oh, okay, good. I checked. I feel better. You know, okay. Yeah. Except you feel the same anxiety the next day. Right. So you're not getting to the core issue. Yeah, so you're right about that. Because you have to keep checking. You know, just because he didn't call today doesn't mean he's not going to call tomorrow. Well, yeah, exactly. You have to, it, it, it's no answer. You have to check forever. You know, and it just gets worse and worse because your husband then feels that suffocating uh, nature of it and you're just saying, look, if, if, if you just showed me all your emails and, and your phone calls and, you know, allowed me to have a chaperone go on your business trips, <laughs> you wouldn't have a problem. Well, then what, like, when someone has trust issues like that, does that usually stem from their childhood? You, I mean, I would say not always, but usually. It could also stem from prior relationships where there was tremendous betrayal. It doesn't have to come from the childhood, but... Uh, it, it may, there may be betrayal in the childhood. There may, you may have come from a family where there was a, you know, divorce and uh, there were affairs and, and stuff like that. It may be that you came from long-term or short-term relationships where you found out that the man you were in love with uh, was betraying you and cheating on you mm -hmm. and calling old girlfriends and having multiple affairs. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, there's usually going to be some precedence for it, but... It's important if that's happened to you to think about how can I try and heal myself from the pain of these betrayals. Uh, you're not going to be able to have this sort of omniscient knowledge of where your partner is going to be at all times to make you feel at ease. It's just that's not going to be the answer. Yeah, I mean, actually, um, someone I'm seeing, they, they left their phone at my place the other day. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, well, I'm not going to check it. I don't want to know. And, and my girlfriend said, well, did you check it? Did you check it? I'm like, no. It's like, first, I don't want to be that kind of person. And B, it's, you know, if there's something going on, eventually the truth will, find, will come out. Yeah, it's absolutely, it, you're right. I mean, we need to cultivate our own sense of intuition uh, about the character of our partner. You know, it's that simple. And if you want to pursue a mature, adult, intimate relationship, you're always taking a risk. Yes. There's no way to enter into closest with somebody else without risking being hurt. And what I say to people about that is that goes forever. It's not just for the first three months. That could happen at any time. Yes. Right? You could be together for 40 years right. and be betrayed. You could be together for 20 years and be betrayed, 10 years and be betrayed. So the idea like, well, I'll just do it for now and then, <laughs> and then I'll feel safe, it's, just, it's illogical. It's just simply not true. Yeah, And so you've got to find a way to really get to know yourself and get to know your partner where you feel a sense of trust that's not 
based on infinite knowledge. It's based on what I call sort of a spiritual or a soul understanding of your partner. Ah, okay. And then also reading your books helps, too. Well, we we would hope. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, why 51 things? Why not 50? <laughs> why not 50? I know. Well, you know, to, to start with, it was sort of one of the, well, 50, I don't, I don't know, 50 is so traditional. Maybe we'll go with 51. Uh, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. Uh-huh. So I sat down uh, when I was starting the book, and I listed all the things I could possibly come up with that I thought were really crucial to know. Um, and then I went through them all without counting them, and started crossing off the ones who were redundant or didn't make sense or really weren't that important or, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then read through the list and said, you know, these, I think these are all good and these are all crucial. And then I counted them up and they were 51. Uh-huh. So I thought, synchronicity, let's, let's make it 51. That's why it was 51. Yeah, and also, I'm into numerology, and, you know, in numerology, you add up the numbers, and 5 plus 1 is 6, and 6 is the number of relationships. I didn't know that. Yeah, six signifies relationships. So there you go. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm going to use that now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so then I have one more question or maybe two. Let's see. So you also said it's normal to feel attracted to someone who's not your partner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people maybe don't want to hear that. I mean, yeah. it depends on what your level of trust is in the relationship. Uh, but... You know, we're all humans, we're all human animals, we, you know, have attraction and chemistry with different people, um, and that's normal, and it's healthy, and you should see it that way. Uh, and the reason it's important to, to be aware of that and to recognize that it's not a danger sign, it's not something that's wrong with you, is that if you deny uh, that you're really having those feelings of attraction for someone, you don't know what to do with those feelings. Uh, and if you avoid them and sort of are in denial, you may end up putting yourself in situations with individuals that you are attracted to that you probably couldn't, shouldn't put yourself uh, in if you are acknowledging that there is some attraction there. Mm-hmm. So let's say there's somebody you work with where there's some chemistry, even though you're married or you're in a relationship. Uh, if you become really self-aware of it, you can analyze, well, how attractive, well, it's passing, this thing isn't really risky. There's not that much attraction. Okay, fine, no big deal. Let's say you shine a light on it and you recognize there's a, there's a real strong attraction here. I don't know what it is. Uh, we've just got some chemistry. She's flirting with me. I'm flirting with her. Uh, now I need to start coming up with a game plan, <laughs> which is I, I can't put myself uh, in high-risk situations with that individual. That means... You don't go out drinking at night with that person. You don't decide to work late together on a project that you volunteer for till <laughs> 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. You don't decide to go on a business trip where you know that individual will also be going there and your wife or your you know, partner won't be going. Uh, and those are things you can really take stock of, create a strategy, and just be self-aware of and say, look, you know, I'm human. Uh, anybody can be tempted if you keep putting yourself in temptation's way. And so you have to have just common sense boundaries around that kind of stuff. But it certainly is not any kind of a red flag mm-hmm. being attracted to somebody. The red flag is having an attraction and then looking for all sorts of ways to spend a lot of time with that person. That's a red flag. Right. Yes. 
Okay. And then finally, you said, be careful not to control or to be controlled in your relationship. What do you mean by that? Well, actually, kind of mean exactly what we were talking about, oh. about the trust issue. Okay. Um, uh, in intimate relationships, which is, again, this the core issue that if you're going to commit to trying to be with somebody long term, there's always the possibility that you're going to be betrayed in some way, whatever that means. Um, and what that leads people to do is try and control their partners. Mm. Um, try and spend all their time with them, try and know everything they're doing at all times to feel safe. Uh, and what those individuals aren't acknowledging is what I say to people who are having that, that, that difficulty and feeling unsafe in the relationship is I say, the safest place in the world is being in solitary confinement in a prison. <laughs> okay? It's probably the safest place in the world, uh -huh. but it's also the worst. Yes. And the most lonely, and you'll go insane. Right. Right? So if you want to connect to other people, and if especially you want to connect to somebody who you're really opening your heart and your soul to, sharing your dreams, counting on uh, for some kind of a life path together, you're really opening yourself up uh, to all the joys, all the wonderful things, and all the bad things that can happen, uh, and all those hurts. And we're not just talking about hurts that are about betrayal and control. They're the inevitable hurts, you know, from, again, bringing it full circle back to the, the Buddhist, the Zen, or the meditation, you know, idea. You know, in Buddhism they say, you know, the things that you can count on in life are old age, uh, sickness, and death. Mm -hmm. uh, suffering is a part of life, as is joy. Um, and there are inevitable pieces of suffering that we're going to experience throughout life if you're with somebody. Could be that person getting ill. Uh, could be you getting ill. Could be somebody dying and you having to go through that. What, what that means is that all relationships have significant pain and loss in them whether it comes from betrayal or just comes from life on life's terms, you can't escape from that. So if you're going to enter into a relationship, you want to practice letting go of control uh, rather than trying to gain more control. Because the more you let go of control, the more you open yourself to be really present uh, to your partner and to the way that the two of you are taking in life together, which will by far bring you the most joy and, and the most life experience in the wonderful way that you really want to have it together. Wow, that's very beautifully put. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> so um, the book, again, is 51 Things You Should Know Before Getting Engaged, and the website? The website is The51Things. It's fi the and then 51things.com. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on today. It was very enlightening. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, Lucia. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Now I'm going to call my girlfriend. We don't have a lot of time to talk, but let's see how much information we can give you about the perfect boyfriend. She's waiting for my call. <laughs> I hope. Dun, dun, dun. The phone ringing. <laughs> Yes, it is. Hello. Hey, girl. We're on. Hey, how we're, are you? We're on. My my previous interview took okay. a little, 
my previous interview took a little longer because he was so interesting. But anyways, we'll just go over this. And if you have to come back on next week, hey, it'll be a, a recurring series. How's that? <laughs> I know. I know. I love it. So, I'm definitely in. Yeah. So this is my girlfriend, Agnes. And you can find her on my MySpace page. She's on my top friends under Aggie, I believe it is. So um, you'll see how hot she is. Anyway, so we were talking the other night. Uh, as usual, we were having like our two-hour conversation. <laughs> <laughs> or three yeah whatever <laughs> and uh, I wish that we could air those conversations but they're so private that we can't but uh, she did bring something up which I thought was really interesting she started talking about the kind of guy that that that's right for me and then as she described this guy I'm like damn this guy sounds good and she goes I know that that's the right guy for you because that's the kind of guy I want and I thought you know what that's the kind of guy probably every woman wants and uh, yeah. so we want to help guys figure out what it is because they're always saying, well, we don't know what women want. Well, I think actually we women, I know they think we're complicated, but we're not that complicated at all, mm-hmm. you know. Um, definitely um, one of the major things is that we do need attention. And if a guy wants to date us and even be serious with us uh, later on, um, we need to feel that we're actually someone is interested in us more than just because we're beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. you and I both pretty, we're blonde, but we need to make sure, we want to make sure that the guy that's trying to date us is also interested in us as, as a person. And uh, one way of, uh, not just us, I mean everybody, yeah. but um, definitely one thing for me that it's important if I'm dating a guy is that he he calls, at least, I, I like it every day, mm-hmm. but I know that could be too much for some women, yeah. but at least every two days just to find out how you're doing and things like that. And um, that way he can, he shows that he's actually interested in you as a person. And um, uh, just to say how was your day and things like that. Right. Um, if a guy doesn't call for like a week, yeah. it's obvious that he's got something else going on. He's got another girl on the side. Or, uh, or he's just not interested in you as a person. Yeah. And also the other thing is little surprises, you know. Um, it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but just surprise you with something. Like, hey, what you're doing in two days, you know, don't make any plans. I want to, uh, don't make any plans. And it's so exciting and you don't know what's going to happen. It could be just a little thing. Take you to a, your favorite restaurant or something like that. You know, if a guy can afford it, of course it would be nice if he said to you, don't make plans a week prior to your birthday because I'm taking you to Bali. <laughs> but most people can't afford that, right? Right. So just, just 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 little things to show that they actually listen to you when you say, I like to do this and this and that. Let's say you're talking to a guy and you say, I haven't been ice skating forever. And in two weeks, he says to you, hey, what are your plans for next Saturday? Uh, don't make any plans. I got something for you. I'll pick you up at three. And he mm. shows up at your house and he's taking ice skating and he's got the, you know, the, the skates that will be booked and then, you know, just, just little things like that. To me, it's really important. Yeah, to show that at least he's thinking about you and you're not just an afterthought and he's thinking, okay, yeah, I want to have sex with her, so I better call her and see if she's available tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Like, call the last minute. Like, hey, what are you doing tonight? That could mean that you're the bad burner, you know? You're the bad burner and he had uh, someone else lined up and she canceled and then he wants to see you at the last minute. And, you know, when a guy really listens to you and knows what you really like and what you're about, they can plan ahead a little bit. I know we are all living here in L.A. and we have really busy schedules, but uh, to me, that just shows that the guy was actually listening to me when I was talking to him and not just, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, let's go home and go to bed, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> 
And so that was one of the things that we talked about. Yeah. And then we talked about, you know, how we put so much time and effort into looking good for the guys that when they when we come out and they're picking us up for the date, they have to say, you look great. You look hot. Oh, yeah, exactly. Compliment us. Because most, you know, I know, you know, most guys, even though they might have a really nice wardrobe and they might have 30 pairs of shoes, whatever, believe me, I have over 100 pairs of shoes. I'm sure, Lucia, you do, too. No, no. And most of the girls I know, we do. <laughs> And, you know, we actually put effort in it. Like when we have a special date, let's say the guy takes you to the opera or you're going to the theater or whatever, or like some sort of an event. Mm -hmm. I sometimes actually plan it out the day before yeah. or the afternoon and make sure that everything on me is perfect and I look classy, but sexy or whatever the event is, because sometimes you might not want to look over sexy let's say you're going to the opera mm -hmm. or sometimes I have my outfit pretty much figured out but I'm missing a shoe and you know and I know like you know it's like $200 to get a decent pair of shoe and you run to the store you get a pair of shoe and then you dress up really nice for your guy uh -huh. and if he doesn't compliment you then you yeah, know exactly. then, then that just shows that he's not really looking at you as a whole again he doesn't even notice yeah. that's how I look at it yeah, he's just taking you for granted. It's like, yeah, okay. It's like, or like he's got five exactly. more. He's got five more lined you like, like you lined up, and they're all hot. And so it's like, yeah, another hot chick. So what? <laughs> and then you said that some guys say I like my women t-shirt and jeans, and well, that's when I said, okay, next time your guy shows up at your door, wants to take you to a really expensive restaurant or the opera, just out of a joke. Yes. Just you know, greet him at your door with your jeans and your t-shirt on, and see what he says. Let's say he's in a tuxedo, right? They're like, oh, babe, you said you liked me in a jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> See if he really likes you in a jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah, I know, because whenever I read about what guys say they like about women, you know, how do you like your women to draw? Oh, I just, oh, she just has to wear jeans and a t-shirt, that's all. And I'm like, get out of here. I put so much effort into finding great clothes, great shoes, looking different from everybody else, and now you want me to just... Even your jeans are usually designer jeans, right? Or nice jeans. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and so, so and then they go. They just want you like a plain white T-shirt and jeans, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Well, I can see how some guys think that's sexy. I mean, a, a nice T-shirt and jeans could be sexy with nice high heels. I'm not saying no, but that also has its place and time. That's right. good for going to the movies or going to grab like um, a casual bite. Yeah. I mean, everything has its place and time. Right. You, you know. Uh, or um, the other thing was that you brought up is the time that someone is late, <laughs> which for me it's not a problem because I am always late always myself. Late, yes. But I would want them to call, huh? Right. No. No. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I know. No. I, I thought you were breaking up because I know my phone can sometimes be weird. No. For me, if a guy is late, it's not like a deal breaker because I unfortunately I'm very bad with my own time, and but I would want him to call like 10, 15 minutes in advance. I mean, by that time, they should know if they're stuck in traffic or not, yeah. or they left their house late. Of course. Uh, out of respect, as I mentioned to you, Lucia, before, I go hiking with this, this realtor friend of mine, and I live about five minutes away from him. But when we say we hike at 5.30, and if I know I haven't left the house at 5.30 yet, or I'm leaving the house at 5.30, I will go out of my way and shoot him a text and say, hey, I'm just leaving, I'll be a little late, or I'm stuck on, you know, Franklin, things like that, you know, just... Again, it all comes down to respect. Mm -hmm. You 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 want to make you want to feel that you are being loved and respected, and by someone, and they're not just hanging out with you because 
because they have, you know, your their last minute thing and someone else didn't come through. Uh, they have to listen to you. They have to respect you. They have to respect your time. Compliments. I mean, these are not crazy things, no, you know, simple. just normal. Normal everyday things. Um, I know, but like for me, like, yeah, the time is, is, issue is a big thing because I'm so punctual and I understand most people aren't. So it's like, okay, I expect people might be five, 10 minutes late, but then when someone is like always late and yeah, they always call to say they're going to be late, but it's like, well, why do you always have to be late? Then it just shows poor organization on their part in terms of time. That is true. And I, I personally do have, unfortunately, like. I always, but but actually mean it well, because I always think that I will be ready. And then, it's not like I've never been on time. I mean, don't misunderstand me. Or again, I will call ahead and and push it 20 minutes, and then I'm on time the second time, right? Right. (laughs) That's one way to look at it. Yeah, you're on on time the second time, second time around. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Was there anything else? I think we covered everything. That was fast. We pretty much covered (laughs) it really quickly. Of course, we can go on and on with this. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's more things, but that's when you're actually already dating the guy. I mean, you're in this relationship and we could maybe cover that some other time. Yeah. This is more for like when you're uh, just starting dating or you're just dating, but you're not really serious or, or maybe even even if you are serious too. Um, And these, these kind of things will get the people to want to actually continue dating this guy. So this is the first kind of pretty basic stuff. Just respect and listen, and of course, I'm not saying you're going to go on and on and on with your life and your past life and your previous life and what you're going to be when you reincarnate, and he has to remember all that, <laughs> but little things, right? right. <laughs> little things, like favorite restaurant, what you like to do, because you can't always just go to see a movie. No, that's boring. Exactly. exactly. All right, so we're out of time, so am I still coming to your place to check out the okay. dress? Are you home? Okay, yeah, I'm home. Okay, come all over. right, I'll, I'll come over after the show, and... Uh, all right, I'll talk okay. to you later. Thanks. Bye. All right, thank All right. you for calling me, Lucia. Okay, thanks Bye. for being on. Bye. Bye. All right, that was Aggie. Check her out on myspace.com slash expert. She's in my top friends under Aggie. And thank you so much for joining me today. It was a great show. I really enjoyed it. Hope you did too. I thank my guest, Michael Batshaw, with, of course, 51 Things You Should Know Before Getting Engaged. And uh, my website is theartoflove.net, where you can sign up for my free weekly newsletter. You can read an excerpt from my book at lessonsoflove.net. And in the meantime, remember that love inspires, empowers, uplifts, and enlightens. You're listening to The Art of Love with your host, Lucia, right here on L.A. Talk Radio. 